I'll be reading a few verses in a moment. So I always think it's just a bit of a, a strange Sunday right at the beginning of August, the New Frontiers churches, because uh, there are hundreds of New Frontiers churches where great sections of the congregation are on coaches traveling across the country. Uh, and obviously true for Gateway here as well, and obviously uh, people coming and going during these uh, summer Sundays, but we're going to actually take uh, a series of four August Sundays in Colossians chapter 3, covering uh, the first 17 verses, and under the general title of Risen with Christ. Uh, those of you that uh, are with us regularly know that we're actually a church on two sites, and uh, as we go through this passage, we'll be doing the same verses each week in both uh, sites, although it will be with different preachers, but we'll be keeping together on the theme as we go through uh, Colossians 3 here and at 5.02 uh, as well. I'm actually just here at Alder Road uh, for this week and next week, and Nathaniel's preaching uh, this morning up at 5.02 on the verses that we're about to look at in a few moments' time. Now, if you, if you go through Colossians chapter 3, you'll see that in fact it's full of practical instruction. And actually Christians like that. Uh, they like very often to be told what to do in certain ways. We like some practical in instruction. Uh, but if you take a closer look, you'll actually see that the first few verses in Colossians 3 are really about who we are and the exhortation to think about it. And actually, this is Paul's typical method. Again, the game, what he does in his letters is begin a section of uh, his writing by saying, now, this is who you are. Think about this. And only when he's told us who we are will he say, right, now, if that's the case, this is how we should live. And you'll find, uh, as we go through Colossians chapter 3, that what we're going to do is take it in that way, that today I'm very much going to concentrate on who we are and the, the great need that Paul always feels for us to get hold of that, and then there'll be some more practical instruction uh, that will be coming through over the next couple of weeks as we continue through these verses. So I'm just going to read the first four verses of Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And the first thing we want to talk about is being raised with Christ. And uh, that comes out in uh, verse 1, since then you have been raised raised with Christ. Now, many people would think that uh, the two greatest British philosophers of the 20th century, and indeed up until today, would be Bertrand Russell and Stephen Hawkins. They would be considered the two greatest uh, British philosophers by many people. Both of them are atheists, uh, or in case of Bertrand Russell, was an atheist, uh, and he died some years ago. Stephen Dawkins, of course, tends to lead the, the charge at the present time as the kind of high priest of atheism, really. Uh, both of them have actually written books against the Christian faith. So Bertrand Russell wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian, 
and then more recently Stephen Dawkins wrote a book, The God Delusion. But it, neither of these books actually for a sentence look at what we would today tend to refer to as the elephant in the room. And in this case, the elephant in the room is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And neither of them take any space at all to look at that subject. I've sometimes wondered if it's because in some way they're scared to do so, because actually there are quite a number of documented cases of people being atheistic or agnostic who've uh, actually decided to look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and very often have ended up being converted to the Christian faith. But with Dawkins uh, and with Bertrand Russell, both deny Christianity, both of them say there's nothing in the room at all, whereas, my friends, there's the whacking great elephant in the room, which is actually, in terms of what we believe, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we obviously stake everything on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that comes out very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you pick up there in verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, I've been in Christian ministry for 49 years, and I have, over the years, taken that particular section of Scripture extremely seriously, because, bearing in mind what Paul says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and we're all people most to be pitied, if Christ is not risen, then for 49 years, all I have done, all I have said, all I have preached, all I have taught in thousands of sermons, for example, would have been a complete waste of time and utter rubbish. And I would have given the last 49 years of my life to something that's meaningless and futile. And it would have been a complete waste of time and actually would have led many people into deception as well at the same time. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And that's what absolutely transforms everything. And because Christ is raised from the dead, we have been raised from the dead with Christ. Now, there are a few different ways, actually, we can see that uh, as we look at uh, this truth. For one thing, it's a, it's, a, it's a present truth. Christ is the risen Savior. When we believe, we are raised up with him. And that's another way of us saying that we're new people, that our lives have begun again, as the Bible says, that we're actually new creations. The problem with that is that sometimes we don't feel very new. Uh, how do you feel as you're getting up on a winter's morning at uh, uh, an early hour and uh, it's Monday morning and you're starting the week again? You don't perhaps feel very new at that stage of the, the day and at that time of the morning. And sometimes we can look at one another and we can think, well, actually, he or she doesn't really look very new either. Uh, but in verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, which I believe has the sense of get your, get your view above earthly things. Uh, you may not feel very new. Uh, he or she may not look very new, 
but Christ is risen, we're joined to Christ, we're raised with Christ, we are absolutely new people. And let me give you a, a quick way to check that. Consider, if you can, what is your deepest desire? What is really deep down in your life? What would you most want and like to do? Consider your deepest desires. And I think if you're truly born again, right down in the depths of your being, what you really want to do is to be more like Christ. And that's because we're new people. It may be that we're disappointed with ourselves. It may be that we're very aware of our sense of failure. We, we may feel that actually we've blown it in all sorts of ways. We may feel that we haven't progressed as we hoped we might progress. But deep down, there will still be that desire, I want to be more like Christ. And that is because we're new people with all the possibilities that there are with that truth. So think about Christ. Think about it. And the fact that we're actually raised with Christ. But to say that we're raised with Christ is also a future hope. Paul says here that we have been raised with Christ, but also the Scripture tells us that we will be raised with Christ. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. And so he's talking there in the future sense. Not only are we raised with Christ, but we will be raised with Christ in the future. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we read that, we see that Paul is talking about our human bodies, which gives us a clue, of course, immediately to what he's talking about, that Christ was raised in the body. When it says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, he raised Christ in the body. And uh, in the future, we will also be raised in the body. Uh, you know, there are those that have tried to dismiss the resurrection of Jesus Christ in terms of, well, it simply means that the Spirit of Christ lives on. But if you read the Gospels, we find that that's not what the Gospels are saying to us at all. What the Gospels are saying to us is that when Jesus rose, there were disciples that actually saw him, that actually ate food with him, on a beach that uh, touched him, that heard him speak, that saw him walk around, Jesus Christ was raised in the body. It's not just that his spirit lives on, but he was raised in the body. And men, a man was created out of the dust, and if God created man out of the dust, there's no problem for God to raise us up again from whatever dust may finally remain, so that we will have new resurrection bodies like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. And again, we, we need to think about that. We need to set our minds on things above rather than on earthly things. Think about having a body that will never decay, a body that will never get sick, a body that will never grow old. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, revivalist of uh, about 250 years ago, great philosopher and writer as well, he said this, in heaven... It is the reverse of what is on earth. For there, by length of time, things become more and more youthful. That is, more vigorous, more active, more tender, and more beautiful. The very reverse of what we see in now on earth. 
And we know that uh, today there's a cosmetics industry that is pouring billions of pounds into producing cosmetics that we can buy for billions more pounds that will help us in some way prop up and keep together our bodies. And there's billions spent on that. And yet I find there's a, a haunting verse in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 4:16, and I love the message translation where it says, on the outside, it often looks as though things are falling apart. And that's where we are. That for all the efforts of the cosmetic industry, that actually on the outside, gradually, we are falling apart. But look up. Think about it. We are going to get a raised body, a new body raised with Christ. And then also to speak of the fact that we've been raised with Christ is a, a present experience and uh, it's to be presently enjoyed. Read verse 1 again, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, this whole theme of Christ being seated at the right hand of God is something that runs through the New Testament quite frequently. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, we read that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God in heaven. It's not so much that we should understand that as a literal location, as though there are literal thrones in heaven and there's God the Father in a central one and Jesus just a bit off to the side uh, on another one, a bit like the Queen and Prince Philip. Uh, it's not really uh, saying that. It's not a literal location. It's actually recognizing the exaltation of Jesus Christ that he's lifted up to glory. Now, you know, we, we have uh, a love of Christmas, uh, uh, we, we celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus Christ at that time. We have a love of Easter. We love to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But alongside Christmas and Easter, there's a day called Ascension Day in the Christian calendar. And Ascension Day happens on a Thursday, and it's not a holiday, and it's not even the weekend, so we tend to forget it. And sometimes, some years, I'm not even aware that it actually is Ascension Day. And because we're a week on Ascension Day, we can be weak on the exaltation of Christ, that Jesus Christ ascended on high. He was ascended, he ascended to glory, as the scripture says, to put it in pictorial terms, he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, acknowledging that, we need to add in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, where it says this, and God raised us up with Christ. So again, we're talking about being raised with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we are raised with Christ. But Paul says in Ephesians that actually we are raised with Christ in the sense that we are, we are with him where he is now. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So this is something that we need to acknowledge and understand as a present experience. I mean, you thought that you were sitting on blue chairs in Alder Road, but actually you're seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's where we're really uh, meant to think about where we actually are. Now, in one sense, we can say this because Jesus represents us. He is the risen man, and he is now exalted to glory, 
and they're exalted to glory as a risen man, he is actually representing us. Now, 49 years ago, uh, in July, uh, 49 years ago, America first put a man on the moon. And I always remember that very vividly, because I said at the beginning, I've been in Christian ministry for 49 years, and America put a man on the moon exactly at the time I was beginning my ministry in a small Baptist church in Southampton. So I remember it absolutely vividly uh, because of that. And you, you can imagine back 49 years, the excitement that there was uh, at that time as America put the first man on the moon. And you can imagine what the Americans were saying. The Americans were looking up at the moon, I'm sure, in the night sky, and they were saying, that's our man on the moon. That's our man on the moon. I mean, the first time in history. Think about it. That's our man on the moon. But do you think they said anything else? I think some of them would have said this. We're on the moon. Not we're over the moon, <laughs> but we're on the moon. I'm sure some of them were saying that, but they would identify with it that closely. It's their man on the moon representing them. And so it's like, we're on the moon. My friends... Our man is in the heavenly realms, and his name is Jesus. But we're in heavenly realms because Jesus represents us and he carries us with him. Go back to what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. We're raised with Christ. We're in heavenly realms with him. And friends, we are in for such a show. <laughs> what a display we're going to see. We are going to see the riches of his grace displayed throughout the future ages. Now, we see some now. We see even things that were spoken about this morning, the mercy of God and the grace of God, and we see the healing power of God. We see the, the riches of his grace being displayed even now. But what a display they're still going to be coming to us through the coming ages. You know, uh, at this time of year in Bournemouth and Paul, uh, you can go down at the weekends, a Friday and a Saturday to the front and in Bournemouth one day and Paul the other, and you see a nice big firework display. And it is a great display, and for uh, uh, 10 minutes or so, you see these wonderful fireworks uh, displayed. But actually, there's always another display coming, because you can go down the next week as well. And I think of it a bit like that, that right now, there's like a great firework display of grace taking place. Well, that's not going to be the end of the display because throughout the coming ages, more and more of the riches of God's grace are going to be displayed to us. I think very much probably in the future ages in terms of the new heavens and the new earth. In the coming ages, amazing grace will continue to be revealed to us as we're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. A Scottish theologian put it like this, the ascension of Christ means the exaltation of man into the life of God and on the throne of God. We are with Jesus beside God, for we are gathered up in him and included in his own self-presentation before the Father. 
Now here this morning, we might feel so ordinary, and we're away, we're also even aware this morning probably that so many of us are away on holiday or away at New Day, and we might just feel very ordinary as people and as a, a church. But friends, this particular passage of Scripture says this, set your minds on things above. Think about who you are. We are raised with Christ. Now then, we go on in uh, verse 3, and we see that we died with Christ. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I have to say that uh, I'm very familiar with this passage of Scripture, preached on it a number of times, and I have to say I've always struggled a little bit with this, that uh, we have died. I struggle with it because of the order it comes. We seem to go backwards at this point. At the beginning of the passage, Paul has told us uh, that we are raised with Christ, and then we go backwards, it seems, when Paul says, for you died. Uh, and I've always found myself thinking, why didn't Paul start with, you died? And then go on and say, and now you are raised with Christ. That's how I would have done it, um, because I have a very logical mind. Trouble is, Paul's got a greater mind. <laughs> and so this is very deliberate. I think what it does actually is bring a double emphasis to our being raised with Christ. You are raised with Christ. Now let's emphasize it to you, because you died. And it's a kind of emphasis that he's bringing through. I suppose one way of seeing it is in water baptism, isn't it? When we baptize somebody here, we see somebody go under the water, and it represents the fact that they have died, and then they come up out of the water to represent that they have been raised to new life in Christ. Uh, I was just looking through my notes again this morning, and I suddenly rem I rem remembered a, a story I used to share a lot at one time. I don't think I've told this for a number of years. Uh, but uh, a long time ago, I knew a Baptist pastor, and he had a friend who was a, an Anglican vicar. And this Anglican vicar became somewhat convinced about believers' baptism. And so they decided to have a believers' uh, a baptism in the Anglican church. And he'd never done it, never seen one. Uh, so he spoke to his Baptist minister friend and said, could you just give me some practical help here? How exactly do I handle this? What do I do? Uh, and so he got the practical instruction. The service went ahead, and the next week the uh, the Baptist pastor and uh, who I knew and the Anglican vicar, they met up, and the Baptist said to the Anglican, well, how did it go on Sunday? Did you have a good time? He said, we had a great time. It was a wonderful service. But he said, do you find that actually when you baptize people, they get very short of breath? And the Baptist pastor said, uh, no. He said, what did you do? Well, he said, I did exactly what you told me. He said, I stood the person in the water. I, I put them under the water I said their name, and then I said, and now I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. He said, when they come out, they go, <laughs> friends, we never lose anybody, all right? You die, but you rise, all right? And uh, we see that in water baptism. So we have died to the old life. That's how we know that we can have a new life. And Paul then goes on to say, because we have died and because we are risen, our life is now hidden with Christ in God, which is simply another way of saying that we are in Christ, which is Paul's favorite term for the Christian. But what is most important and most significant for you and me, the fact that we are in Christ is actually hidden from the view of other people. They simply don't see it. We're in Christ 
but actually people don't see who we are. We've died, we've raised in Christ, we've been raised in Christ, we can think about it, but it's kind of hidden from other people. Uh, I remember years ago hearing Terry Virgo lead in prayer, and you know how sometimes a phrase catches you? And as he was leading in prayer, he prayed like this. He said, Lord, it's like we sit on a great secret. I thought, that's such a good way of putting it. As Christians, I think it's like that. It's like we sit on a great secret. Others do not realize the wonder of what we are into, that we've died to the old life. We've been raised to new life with Christ. It's something I'm sure that to other people would seem absolutely stupid. It's kind of hidden from them. It's probably the reason, to some degree, why we're somewhat timid very often in our witness. Because perhaps it can sound stupid to say to people who don't understand, I've died and I've been raised with Christ. But that's what we are. We're hidden with Christ in God. Think about it. We've died and we've been raised. And then thirdly, we are coming with Christ. And that's in verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And here, of course, we're speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to say that I think that preaching on the second coming of Christ is probably pretty, pretty low in the, the ministry of many of our churches today. Uh, I've had a largely itinerant ministry over the last 20 years or so, and uh, I ask around sometimes, and I get the sense there's very little preaching of the second coming of Jesus Christ in our churches. I think there are a number of reasons for this. I think for one thing, some of us actually grew up years ago, decades ago, in the kind of evangelical climate where the preacher almost week by week would be saying, if Jesus came tonight, would you be ready? And the trouble is, Jesus didn't come tonight. And, uh, you know, if you go on saying that uh, year in, year out, more or less every week, and he doesn't come, I think it can begin to pall a bit, and you begin to get a bit weary with it. I think perhaps the emphasis that we need to bring is rather rejoice that this is still a day of grace while people can be saved. But he will return. That is our blessed hope. And maybe another reason that we haven't heard so much preaching in recent years is, particularly perhaps in our kind of church, we've been too taken up almost with the church. Uh, now, I don't, I don't want to knock that. I've been taken up with the church, and I love the church, and I give my life uh, because I believe in the church, in teaching and preaching, and seeking to build and establish churches. So I'm absolutely committed to the church. I believe it's the hope for the world. But I think particularly in earlier years, we were so taken up with getting the church right that you know, some things like the second coming of Christ almost disappeared over the horizon. What we have to remind ourselves, my friends, is this, that for our commitment to the church and belief in the church and knowing that the church is the hope for the world, even the church isn't going to fix the world completely before Jesus comes again. Uh, do you remember there was a president before President Trump? Uh, his name was Barack Obama. Can you remember when Obama became president? There was almost a kind of messianic euphoria. Now, we may have forgotten that now. Um, of course, we're going back, what, over, what, about 10 years of it now? Um, but, uh, I mean, when he first became president, I mean, it was incredible. The crowds that turned up to his inauguration, this was the man that was really going to fix things. This was really going to be the new age. 
I'm very fond of Matt's cartoons, not Matt Hosier, Matt in the Daily Telegraph. And uh, uh, Matt had a cartoon up at that time, which I thought caught it beautifully. Uh, they're always very simple cartoons, if you know them, but there was a banner up, and it said, Obama becomes president. And underneath, he'd written, and the whole world lived happily ever after. Uh, he, 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 he smelt a rat at the time. I mean, <laughs> Obama didn't fix the world. <laughs> I'm not knocking Obama, but he didn't fix the world. But my friends, one day the king is coming. He'll fix the world. Everything will be made new. Maybe uh, another reason that we don't preach the second coming so much is because it sounds so complicated. I've got screeds of notes because I've taught on uh, end times quite a lot over the years. I could tell you about the millennium. I could tell you about the tribulation. I could tell you about the rapture. I could even tell you about a mid-tribulation rapture, let alone an end time rapture and pre-tribulation rapture. I mean, I could give you the, give you the full works. Uh, uh, and, you know, it can sound so complicated. Uh, in Revelation 22, it says three times, I'm coming soon. Simple. <laughs> Simple. I'm coming soon. That's our next problem. It isn't soon. <laughs> uh, that's the next problem as to why maybe people are back to preaching the second coming a bit. It doesn't seem soon. Uh, one or two people I'm here, I'm sure will remember this, but uh, many years ago at the Downs Bible Week, uh, C.J. Mahaney from America preached a message that became kind of legendary. Uh, it was about the holiness of God. It's one of those just awesome occasions, and I use the word advisedly because awesome is an overword used in the Christian scene, but it was an awesome occasion when you were just so impressed with the majesty and the holiness of God. It really was an extraordinary message, but as so often happens with preaching, you can remember the occasion, but you can't remember much of the content. But there is one thing that I do remember that C.J. Mahaney said towards the beginning of that message. And uh, he was talking about Uzzah who touched the ark. You remember that the ark was carried, being carried on a cart, and God had said the ark of the tabernacle was not to be touched, and it, this ark began to wobble on the cart, and Uzzah, he stretched out and he steadied the ark and immediately fell dead. I always remember that C.J. Mahoney was addressing this, and he says, I read in my Bible that God is slow to anger. Can I have a new definition of slow here, please? Always remember him doing that. And uh, we need to be clear that in the letters of Peter, for example, Peter says, Jesus is not slow to return in the way that we would think of it. We look at it from our perspective. We look at it within our time frame. God's actually on flexi time. A thousand years is as uh, one day. One day is a thousand years. It works both ways. For God, time is flexing. It may seem slow to us, but actually the second coming remains the blessed hope of the whole church. Did you notice this? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We spoke just now of the fact that we're hidden with Christ, as Paul's description here. But this is the time when Jesus returns, when people will know who we are, who we really are. We'll get new bodies, but when Christ returns, the scripture says we will be with him. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that when Christ returns, 
the sons of God will be revealed. It's then that people will really know what it means for us to be in Christ, to be Christians. They don't know now who we really are. It's hidden from them. We're hidden in Christ, in God. So there's a Christian, and there's a Buddhist, and there's an agnostic, and there's an atheist. There's a lot of choice out there. And people would just see us as making one of the many choices that there are. But when Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. And then people will finally understand who we are as the children of God. You know, everything comes to an end. Everything has a beginning and everything has an end. And... I'm always fascinated about what will the end be in all sorts of areas. And even for us as Christians, we're saved, but it's not yet the end. And we're building the church, but it's not yet the end. What's the end of the story? I'm sure many of you are are very familiar with uh, the, the, the famous trilogy of books, Lord of the Rings. You've read the books or you've seen the films. And I, I remember my first reading of Lord of the Rings, and I, I tracked through these three uh, great volumes, and I was really taken up with it. It was a thrilling book or series of books to read, uh, some of my favorite books of all time. And I can remember keeping on thinking, how is this going to end? Will Frodo, who was the hero, will he get up Mount Doom? Will the ring, which kind of symbolized all the evil in the world, will that get destroyed? And there was a kind of Satan figure, Gollum. What will happen to Gollum? What's going to happen? How's it going to end? Let me tell you, the Bible tells us how it's going to end. That Christ comes from the mounds of glory. That all evil will be destroyed with the restoration of the whole of creation. And that Satan will be cast down forever. And we will appear with Christ in glory. That's the end of the story. So think about who you are. Set your mind on that. Get your thinking up. Don't let it just linger on earthly things. Hot August summer season, but think about who you are. We are raised with Christ. We've died to our old life, and one day we'll be coming with Christ in glory. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth. We thank you for who we are in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we'll set our minds on these things. Lord, there's so much to think about and legitimately think about, and many earthly things to think about legitimately. But Father, we pray that above that, our focus will be on things above, who we are in Christ, that we are raised with him, that we've died to our old life that one day Christ will come and will come with him in glory. Thank you for this life that puts us into Christ and gives us eternal hope. Hallelujah.